everybody. It is just Virginia right now. I'm going to do a quick little segment before we get into the full Legal Weekly Wine today. Um, Chelsea will be joining us. We're going to do the full episode as normal, but the Alex Murdoch trial, we are talking about it today. It just goes to show you how unpredictable and wild a jury trial can be because it is Friday and the jury is already back. We, I know that juries can come back very fast. They can come back very slow. You never know. But in this one, I underestimated what the jury would do. I underestimated the timing. I thought it would be a while. Um, and because of that, of course, we shot the film and the episode yesterday instead of today before we put it up this afternoon. So for everybody listening and watching today by podcasting site or by YouTube, I wanted to tell you the upcoming video and session was shot yesterday before we even knew the jury verdict. We shot it, we were editing it, and within three hours, the jury verdict was out with a finding of guilty for Alex Murdoch. And then this morning on Friday, the jury sentencing is already back with life in prison. So for those of you watching and listening, we do now know the actual findings of the jury. We are very excited about them. I want you to keep watching and listening because the Alex Murdoch trial is still fascinating. It is still exciting. We break down in this episode the facts of the trial, um, the facts of the story, what this case is about in case you haven't been following it. And even if you have been, what we pulled out as the most interesting and important facts to review in the trial and in our analysis. And we also go through our analysis of what evidence the jury was presented, which side presented it, and why some pieces of evidence got in and others were excluded. So it is still our legal take, but you will have fun laughing at us as we do our jury prediction as to what was going to happen and see how correct or how off we were in those predictions. It's a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun with this episode. We always do. Um, but as a trial attorney and a former prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, this one was a little more near and dear to my heart. So Chelsea's about to join me in the next part that we are going to piece together enjoy and have fun. Not that we're trying to enjoy a trial at the expense of anyone, um, especially because the deaths are on a serious side. The deaths are serious. What a tragedy for this family and a tragedy overall, right? The, a father is now sentenced um, to life in prison. There is a remaining son who now has, I mean, he's already dealing with so much. The loss of his mom, the loss of his brother, his dad accused of their death, his dad being disbarred, a full family tragedy all around. So please don't mistake my excitement for the trial as excitement at the expense of people, their lives, their deaths, and a family. With that said, as a trial attorney, it is exciting. It is captivating. We believe that you too are captivated. That's why it's all over the news and why we're talking about it. So Going back, and I've probably said so way too many times, but this is me and this is us. I'm Virginia Tarani. You are listening to The Legal Weekly Wine. Stay tuned as Chelsea Rogers joins me with Tarani Law because you never need a lawyer. Tell you do.
Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we talk about the hottest legal topics in the U.S. every week. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. We are part of Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. All right, everybody. We are going to tell you right off. It's the beginning of March. Yes. And we are hot and heavy into the murder trial. Yeah. Closing's wrapped up and we're going to see what the jury is going to decide. Very, very exciting for someone who is a trial lawyer and for someone who was a prosecutor, did murder trials. I'm on the edge of my seat, but I think a lot of people are in addition to just trial attorneys. I think it's like almost the morbid curiosity of it all because it's the most (laughs) convoluted story you've ever heard. It's playing out in the news and it's wild. It is wild. So stay tuned with us. Um, As we talk about it, we're going to break down, Chelsea's going to break down some of the facts. We're going to talk about a couple of the legal issues. A lot of people are commenting, um, but the way I think we're going to take it, and Chelsea's going to make sure that we do, is some of the very specific topics and trial topics that are happening with the judge, with some of the objections, so that you have that particular take rather than just a general take on it. Absolutely. Okay, so the other part as you all know by now that we do for the Legal Weekly Wine, is the wine part of it. Today we have a white wine. Mm-hmm. Back to the whites. Um, we have sweet tooths, apparently. Really sweet do. teeth. How do you do that? I don't know. It's, it's teeth. The... Tooth? <laughs> <laughs> Not that way. <laughs> but that's a hilarious start, and I swear Chelsea has not had wine yet. No, and we've swapped places, guys. Today I have notes. I think this is more notes than I even took my entirety of law school, so I'm ready for today. It's really quite impressive. Um, Chelsea has extreme ADHD. <laughs> Just the truth. Laying it out there because it's out on social media anyway oh, yeah. with our um, with our social media. Like, follow us on, God, at Facebook, Instagram. Everywhere. You can find us everywhere. YouTube. LinkedIn, TikTok, TikTok, we're getting, we're getting on, um, for the law and scripted and Tarani law, but we're definitely, uh, letting you know that she has ADHD because it's hilarious. Yes. See if you can follow my attempt to tell this story. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to see, I'll try to reel it back in and in places where I can, but really this has, the tables have turned because Chelsea has notes. I always have notes. I have none today absolutely none which we did twilight zone effect which may be why you sound like you've had wine look i am just so excited to talk about this <laughs> she has been excited i will tell you yes. from the very beginning of this saga chelsea has been in the office saying have you heard what's happened today for for a while year, I mean, years, years at now? this point yes this all kicked off back in 21 and i was following it as each headline broke so i'm really excited now that we are at the conclusion of the trial really yeah. to see what the end result will be but will it be the end that's the big question yeah. that i think we both have some thoughts on is is this really the end oh there's no way but yeah. there's so many ways it couldn't be so let's drink some wine We've got a 101 North Moscato from California. Um, So it is fruity, sweet, and juicy. We have on here, it's Explorer Moscato, California grown with sweet aromas of white peach, pear, and a hint of citrus. Soft and full-bodied with a refreshing finish. 
I do like peach. Yeah, it sounds good. I like the taste of pear, and I love pear juice drinks, but I don't love eating pears. Is it like a texture thing? I think so, because they're a little soft for me. Yeah. My grandparents had multiple fruit trees, and of course I'm pouring mine first, so I'm going to pass no. this to you and not be <laughs> rude. I'm going to trade you as if I poured for you first. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, my parents, my grandparents had so many fruit trees, and I had so many other amazing fruits that were fresh Ooh. every summer. Yeah. So whenever I got the pears, it was, yeah, these are, you know, they're grocery okay. store pears, <laughs> and they're kind of mushy, and they're okay. Fair enough. And I know pears are mushy. That's kind of what pears yeah. are. And if they're too hard, that they like really aren't right. Yeah, they don't taste good. <laughs> and I like the flavor of a pear in... A cider. Like extracted. Yes. I okay. love pear ciders. They're very good. So, pear and peaches. Do a little cheers. Here we go. Cheers. I love the little clink every time. <laughs> we have gotten used to our clink. Ooh, that's different. It's not what I expected. It's really good, though. Yeah, that is, that honestly took me for surprise. Yeah. I'm trying to, like, I, I can, don't. No, why? I can taste the pear, but like, I don't know. What else is in here? Pear, citrus, peach. It is It is not what I was expecting. I don't think I, I maybe I'm getting any of the peach. It does feel like very crisp. So like the citrus makes sense to me. I think it's less peach than I expected. Maybe I was expecting more of a sangria type of peach taste oh that makes sense versus a wine peach i don't know i think it's really good though it is very good it's very it's refreshing it's very refreshing think of our georgia peach here right? look we i gotta bring up my southern roots with the way this prosecutor and defense attorney sounded in the courtroom it is very much matthew mcconaughey to a time exactly. to kill kind of vibe. yes like the i swear i'm loving it i think it makes it really fun um, but the truth is, is that story is not a whole lot of fun. No, no, it's not. So I'm going to quickly run through the background facts so we can get to the fun part and talk about the trial. Great. So this all kind of pops off for lack of a better word, um, in June of 2021. Um, and it starts that morning. So we have Alec Murdoch. Alex? Alec? Alec? I think it's, it's Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Baldwin? And Alex. Alex. Murdoch. Okay, perfect. So we have that we've been talking about both. So it's. Hard. I know. I feel like they're all mixed up in my head. So Alex Murdoch is a member of a very prominent family in North Carolina. I mean, going back hundreds of years, sort of being attorneys in that area, um, being prosecutors in that area, states attorneys, that type of thing. He also owns a law firm. And that morning, June seventh, he is in his law firm and he is confronted. Um. For the first time. For the first time, with the fact that he stole, embezzled, stole, whatever, $792,000. No small sum. Um, yeah. I, I would have paid to be a fly on the wall of, like, confronting someone with the fact they stole that much money. Yeah. I mean, it's not... And this isn't just the firm's money. This is clients. As, as an attorney, yes. you don't have money except for your client's money. Right. You get money from your clients or for your clients. And either way, it is your client's money. 
then you get it, <laughs> but it's what you earned. And then if you earned it, if you're part of a firm, it mm-hmm. goes into the firm and then it's distributed. So either way, he's a fiduciary. He has a duty, yes. a strong duty, a higher duty to his clients than most. And none of it should have been taken. You're not supposed to embezzle from any of your employers, but yes. this is a tad worse. And with that start, you might think we're going to be talking about financial crimes, but we're not. Um, we oh, will- you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like to you know, bury, bury the lead here. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> so on the same day, that evening, that night, um, Nagy, Alex's wife, and his younger son, Paul, were brutally killed at their home near their dog kennels. They have, they have a big property, so it's near sort of the dog kennels part of the property, and they were shot and killed. Um, and Alex is the one who finds the bodies. And this is me speculating, to be clear. There is no conviction at this point. Correct. Um, but that is what he's on trial for, is the murders of his wife and his younger son. This is not a trial for the financial crimes. No. That is seems dependent on sort of maybe what the outcome of this trial is. Um but no, he's on trial for murder, for a double murder. Um, and he has one more son. Yes. And so we have the older son, whose name is Buster, who also worked at the law firm with him. Has to be awkward, right? Um, going the back into work. Awkward. The whole thing is awkward. Terrible. Um, so this is terrible. Alex finds the body. He calls it in. Immediately, there was suspicion. Like, I don't think there was ever a point um, where people were worried, I think. At one point, even like the local authorities told the public not to be worried, which is bold, right? You see someone gunned down on their own property and then be like, the general public shouldn't be worried about that. I don't know. It, it is bold for the very first night. Yeah. For the immediacy of it, that is a bold statement. Mm-hmm. Unless he had confessed. Which he didn't. His story immediately. So he was the one who called 911. You can find the, the audio online. They get there. He said he was returning home from visiting his um, mother who's ill and like has a home health nurse and that he arrived home to find this. And like I said, suspicion was immediately there. So we're going to quickly run through what happens next. Um, In September, he resigns from the firm. So for the next three months, he is still employed by this firm. Bold, wild. Um, The day after he resigns from the firm. I think it took them a while to fully uncover all of it. All of it. So I don't think they knew as much mm-hmm. when they when this woman first confronted him. I think they had to build up more of a case. So I think it took them a little longer. Yes. And but why would you come in after you'd been confronted unless you had proof that you didn't do it? Yeah. And I almost wonder if she confronted him individually. Mm. And then when he blew her off. She went up to somebody. This is all my speculation about what happened. And it might have, this part might have been covered a little bit more in the trial and we didn't catch this part of the testimony. Y'all, it's been going on for three weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. No, no. The trial started January 23rd. Okay. Because there was President's Day in there. A long time. Maybe 27 days in business days? Yes. Okay, so that's what it is. Calendar, 27 days actually in trial. It's been a long time, so for some of the specifics, it's a little bit harder to catch all of them. And it's um, not really, in my opinion, super relevant to oh, it. We're trying to hit the larger yeah. facts. You're right. 
Um, so anyways, he was confronted. He resigns three months later. Now this is where it gets wild. So the day after he resigns from the firm, he is shot on the side of the road. He is shot in the head and miraculously is able to call the police himself. He creates a story about sort of maybe having a flat tire. It's not entirely clear and it changes really quick, but it's something about him being stopped and a random person shooting him. Within the week, it comes out that he had hired a former client distant cousin to sort of shoot him for life insurance money. Very convoluted, but there was no danger. It was arranged by him in whatever form that looks like. But that has come out. Oh, yes. That is completely. um, I believe at the trial, he testified that he thought he'd messed everyone's lives up so bad that he wanted to kill himself so the life insurance money could go to his remaining son. That's what the story is at this point. I don't think we'll ever know like the cold hard truth. Okay. So that is the fourth. Now, two days (laughs) later on the sixth, he gives a statement that is bizarre. He, He gives this formal public statement kind of apologizing for like wasting resources. It's some sort of, but then he goes, I am actually addicted to opioids and will be entering rehab. And then they whisk him off to Florida. Oh my goodness. So surprise I'm on drugs. Yes. Which it has now come out that the cousin, distant client, whatever that was, or client, distant cousin, and him had been laundering money and had been running an opioid ring since 2013. <gasps> so that has come out. They, it was oxy. It was pills. So that's part of this. Oh, why didn't I? Okay. Because there's so much to it. So there's like, <laughs> there's the embezzlement. I've been running a law practice. Chelsea's been watching TV. Yes. So <laughs> what ends up coming out about all of these charges is that there is insurance fraud. There is flat out stealing from the business, the law mm. firm, stealing from the clients, and then also running a drug drug ring and laundering money. All of this. Has he not been charged with that? Oh, he has. We will get to that. Okay. Okay. So that is on the 6th. Now, 10 days later, on the 16th, he surrenders to law enforcement for the charges of insurance fraud. Because that's what the shooting was about, was the life insurance money. Okay. So those are the only charges at this point, are the insurance fraud. He surrenders, but he's bonded out to rehab. He's released from the rehab in October of 2021. And then he is re-arrested for charges. These are also financial crimes regarding Gloria Satterfield. Who's Gloria? Okay, so Gloria is their old housekeeper. She passed away in 2018 in an accident in the home. Um, Alex had recommended another attorney to help her two adult sons get some, like a personal injury suit, they got a $4.3 million settlement that oh. they saw zero of. Zero. Why is there zero? Because the attorney took it and split it with Alex. Oh. <laughs> okay, yes, these are some surprise facts for me. Yes. Okay. No, I'm clearly into the details not here. up on this as much as Chelsea, but now you are as well. Because these are the things that were crazy for me to find out. So he's arrested. He is then arrested for those charges, not about her death. It does seem to be some sort of accident, but it was about the settlement afterwards. Okay, so that's new charges related to financial scamming her. Scam. Oh my god. Her sons, to be clear. 
Wow. <laughs> okay. So that is in, that is on the 16th. Then on, in December of 2021, he gives a statement that says, I'm going to own up to what I've done. I've been to rehab and I'm going to face these charges head on. Anyways, <laughs> in January of 2022, um, the financial fraudulent charges had racked up to 71 counts. Mm. Oh my goodness. And we have more coming. This is incredible. It really is like a crazy novel. And it hits sort of all of like the intrigue points. Like there mm -hmm. is a lot going on here. So now we get to July of 2022. He's disbarred. Saw that one coming. Oh, yeah. Shock. I don't even think they had a hearing. Like there's no mention of it. I think they probably just mailed him a letter and were like, <laughs> this is so mad. Here you go. Nobody's going to dispute that. <laughs> and this is why they disbarred him that month. In July of 2022, he was indicted for the double murder, conspiracy, and a few narco narcotics charges. Okay. Um, in the same month, he's disbarred. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but like... Wait, but what... This is so... It seems from this side to be ridiculous. It isn't... How does all of this line up piece by piece by piece by piece and... And I honestly really, think... What's next? Well, and I think that it goes to one, how he got away with it for so long. And mm. two, when we get to it, sort of how the trial is playing out is that it's so convoluted. Yeah. And then you just have, it's like small. I mean, I lived in Georgia for a long time. You're from Tennessee. It's like these small Southern towns that the more gossip happens, like it just becomes this convoluted story that you really can't make heads or tails of. So I have done my best to get the facts I think are most You're shocking. Great. Those are some shocking facts that I had not known as many. So now we are getting to 2023 and you know, I mean, that was about six, seven months to get to a trial, which mm -hmm. seems reasonable to me in this case. And before we get to the trial, we're going to roll back slightly. January 12th of 2023, not that long ago, there was a $50 million settlement between Buster and Mallory Beach's family. And I know I have not mentioned her yet because this is where she comes in. So the son that was killed, Paul, had actually been out on bail for charges related to the death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach. Mm. Um, and so there's been ongoing from her family. That seemed to have been covered up perhaps because of their family's last name, essentially, in this town. Potentially um, influence. Yeah, and her, I mean, her family has been trying to get answers about what happened for years. Um, but apparently, right before this trial starts, they reached a settlement agreement with Buster for $50 million dollars. But who was the lawsuit against? It had to have been what against Paul? I believe it's the estate. Okay, yes. Paul's and it, estate. He was the, and I think Buster was like the. What's the word I'm looking for? Representative. Yes. Okay. Um, I believe so. Uh -huh. I'm not completely sure, but I think that's my understanding. So now we get to January 23rd, 2023, and that is when this trial kicks off. Um, essentially, the prosecution puts forward their theory that. This is nothing new. This is a family annihilator who got caught lying and embezzling and his life was about to implode. So he killed his family. And sort of the only person left is Buster, but he was sort of away at college. So he wasn't, right, he wasn't there. He wasn't easily accessible. So, I mean, it does, in my opinion, fit with sort of the standard, like, um, pathological family annihilator, like template almost, is that's what they do. So the defense, on the other hand, says he's innocent, obviously. Right. Um, 
and says that there were two shooters who managed to come in and kill his family. And they are saying it's related to Mallory Beach's death, that they were getting threats and that someone came and enacted justice. I don't know if I believe that. Well, but you don't have to believe it. You only have to believe that it's possible. Yes. And I think that we will talk about our trial predictions because yes. now we're fun. I think I've thrown out all of the like, here's where we're at. Now we get into this trial, which has lasted 27 days. It's amazing. And murder trials can last a long time. That's longer than the OJ trial. But it is. It's longer than OJ. Wow. Today is not my day. Um, it is longer than OJ's mm-hmm. trial. I, I think it's also longer than Casey Anthony. It is. Because I think they were about three weeks each, yes. roughly. Um, so we're really getting into some length here. But to be fair, based on all of these facts, this is complicated. This is long and complicated, and everything fits in weaves of patterns versus here's a day, here's what happened on one day. Yes, and I think there was a lot of sort of legal maneuvering about what evidence is allowed to be introduced. Um, There was a huge fight multiple times throughout the trial over the introduction of these financial crimes. Prosecution goes, it goes to motive, it's irrelevant to why he did what he did. And the defense goes, his other pending criminal charges have no relevance to his current charge, which... It's, it's hard for me to believe that because as a prosecutor, you always want, you don't have to prove motive. Right. But you want to show motive because jurors want to know why. Even fun. Why would you do this? In North Carolina, he said it in his closing, they don't even have to prove premeditation. It's malice aforethought. It's it, exactly. It's just malice. And and particular ones. Go back to some of our other yeah. podcasts. We actually have um, what is murder most foul is one of our um, yes. <laughs> one of our podcasts for the law unscripted where we talk more in general about the laws and and do a little bit different um, play on things. But you don't have to prove premeditation no. here, and it still can be first degree, but. At the same time, what we're always taught as attorneys is you don't have to prove it, but it sure helps. It does. And I think that really makes a difference. The prosecution is trying to put together a cohesive story in in something that can be very, very complicated. They've had, I mean, I think it was almost 30 witnesses. Like they just have a lot going on. I will say it will completely own up before the trial. I fully believed he did it or paid someone to do it. Um, well, he paid someone to do the shooting at his car. That's what my thought was, right? Um, at this point, I think he did it or he paid someone to do it, but I'm not sure if there was enough to convict, to be quite honest. Okay, so I'm going to agree with you. I <laughs> I mean, like, I think he's responsible, but I don't know if you can prove it. Yes. For whatever it's worth, my opinion, which is worth very, very little... <laughs> That's not true. Is that he didn't know it is. <laughs> is that he did it. Okay. I can't prove it. I don't know it. But based on at least the information that's been coming out, what Chelsea's been able to share, some of the extra stuff that I've seen, plus what I didn't know, apparently, seems even more incriminating to me. than oh, it's so bad. Which is bad because I didn't even know some of this stuff and I'm even more convinced. 
But I am not saying he did it, okay? This is not, I don't know. I really don't know. I would have a hard time in that jury room, to be quite honest. Right. So I don't know. It's my opinion that he probably did. I am convinced by the court, this court of public information, Mm -hmm. that if I were a juror, my initial thought would be, as a juror, Mm -hmm. me, Virginia Tarani, I think he did it. In a civil court. Oh, for sure. For more likely than not, this feels like a slam dunk. Yes. Go back to OJ, where, okay, the murder trial didn't work, but the civil trial for wrongful death, this seems like a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. Is it just a little bit more likely? Just over 50% likely that he did this? Seems to be clear. But in this case, I will say, despite my own belief... There is reasonable doubt, I think. I think there's reasonable doubt. There's too much, and this is where I want to bring us to some of the pieces of the trial that we haven't gotten to, is it seems like such a strong case. But then we get into small, smaller pieces that are adding up. And what I want to bring us to is a similar trial that I handled. Yeah. Not in that it was this this interesting, <laughs> this crazy. It was another murder trial. But I think you'll understand why I'm bringing it up. I bring it up for two reasons. One is the motive reason that we're just talking about. Is I had a, a trial when I was a prosecutor that I, I was co, co-handling. We always did two counsel mm-hmm. on a murder trial. That was your standard. Oh, yeah. You have two people up there. At the very least, you need to make sure that you're still on target. Everybody's mm-hmm. listening. God, I don't know what I would have done without five counsel in such a trial. Truly. But we were really concerned because we didn't have proof of a motive. Yeah. We were very concerned about it. We thought we knew what the motive was. Mm-hmm. We were pretty sure, but we didn't have enough proof that a judge would allow it in. It was a very tenuous yes. position. So when we were trying to get it introduced, the judge was like, oh, no, Mm -mm. no, because not even just that won't go to motive, but you can't even really say that's a motive because you can't prove that piece. Yes. And then argue that it's motive. So in this, we were trying to prove it was gang related, but we couldn't prove that the victim or the defendant were in gangs. Right. We couldn't prove either. So we couldn't prove that the victim was in a gang and would need to be killed. So it's hard to make that motive there. Right. We believed it, but we couldn't prove it. So it wasn't allowed. And we knew that we were already behind the eight ball mm-hmm. because you can't say to a jury, well, this is why he did it. Yes. Even if you can't prove it, we could even say in a closing, we couldn't prove that was his motive and we don't have to. But it seems pretty clear, doesn't yeah. it? That's the closing. But in that case, we were all we had was we didn't have to prove murder. Oh, we didn't have to prove motive. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have to prove motive. Yeah. That's all we had. So we couldn't use the next state of, but it seems pretty likely that. No, it was we don't have to prove motive, which didn't look very good. So we right. knew we were behind the eight ball there. But then we had the CSI effect. Oh, this is so real in this case. So I will. I want to talk about the motive Please. thing first because this happened early on in the case. So very early on, the defense objected mm-hmm. to questions regarding these financial crimes that he's also been charged with. Um, 
there was actually a really funny moment in court. I Tell felt, me. I feel so bad for this defense attorney because it's a, such a human thing to do, <laughs> right? So the prosecutor is asking, I'm not even sure which witness it was at this point, to be clear, um, asking questions about these financial crimes that have been committed. And of course, the defense objects. And he stands up and says, objection, uh, totally improper. <laughs> My heart went out for him because I was like, that's such a human thing to do. But that's just like saying, your honor, this is bad for my case. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> Make him stop. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> um, and the judge was not having it. He said, um, totally improper is not an objection in my courtroom. I would have disintegrated immediately. I'm done. Gotta go. Like, change my name. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm tagging co-counseling. <laughs> yeah, I need to go cry in the bathroom really quick. So, and they actually had a 404 hearing on it. And a 404 hearing is whether to introduce character evidence or mm. crimes prior, crimes, wrongs, or acts by a person. Can you introduce evidence of another crime? Mm-hmm. And you can't if it's to prove conformity. Right. Where if you're saying, well, because he had prior financial crimes, he's now committing another financial crime, or because he has another crime, it's more likely that he would right. commit a crime, any crime. But in this case, prosecution says, well, we're not proving it to show conformity of criminal behavior. We're proving it as motive. Which this is gives an exception in our evidence rules. I'm taking, I'm doing so much evidence right now that I was like, I know what's happening here. I was so excited. It's good for you. I, I'm a nerd. I kind of <laughs> like the evidence stuff too, too, but I like to find someone else who gets excited about evidence because it is, you see it to see it in cases like this. And a lot of, you know, not necessarily everybody outside of the legal field gets excited about it. Um, but it is one of those interesting things mm-hmm. where everyone assumes from the crime shows of, well, of course, if it's financial, it comes in, it's motive, but not necessarily right. if it's another crime, then it's not necessarily coming in because there's that prejudice mm-hmm. of if you committed another crime, then you're a criminal mm-hmm. and we're automatically prejudiced against you. But in right. this case, the probative value of it outweighs that prejudice. Outweighed that prejudice and the defense opened the door. Yes. So this happens repeatedly throughout the trial. Um and I don't know why, because I will say attorneys on both sides seem very skilled. It didn't mm-hmm. seem like there was a mismatch in sort of knowledge or abilities, but it yeah. happened multiple times that the judge is telling the defense attorneys, you've opened the door, you've opened the door over and over, which sucks for them. Yeah, because if they've kept something out when the prosecution is have, doing their case, yep. if they've successfully cut, kept it out, then you want to leave it there. But what's happened is what they've done as the defense has basically counteracted all of their success in keeping some of these things out. And the judge says, well, you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kept it out before, but now you brought it up. So because you brought it up, they can ask about it. That's how this works. And so it actually happened when the prosecution was about to rest their case. We were talking day, Mm. 1617. Oh, um, ages ago. Right. Weeks ago. <laughs> but the prosecution sort of is at their end of their list of witnesses. And during cross-examination of one of the witnesses, um, 
The defense asks questions that introduces testimony about the shooting on the side of the road, which then brings in insurance fraud. So they had talked about some of the financial crimes, but the insurance fraud in particular was not allowed to be brought in prior to that. And then they added a whole nother day of prosecution witnesses. Because they ask. Yes. And if you ask, then you don't get to say, take seats, back seats. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. So it continued on and they had, I think it was three or four more witnesses the next day to address that. Um, and that's as the prosecution. You have to be prepared. You have to assume they're not going to let the evidence in, but you have to be prepared for just in case. Yes. So they had to be ready that with those witnesses. And that's a good prosecution yes. is to say, gotcha. Yes. And now that you did that, I have these three witnesses and waiting in the back. And I was ready for you to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Pretty much. I mean, and that seems to be how it played out. I will highlight a couple other sort of funny in light of what's happening sort of um, throughout the prosecution, that but sort of first half. moments are interesting. This is why you watch. This oh, yes. is why we tune in on TV and the radio and YouTube and anywhere else we can find it because it's interesting. And I think some of these are why sort of the general public is so fascinated too. Um, one, I do think the judge did a great job. He's very um, casual. I'm not casual is not the word I'm looking for. He speaks to people without trying to use legalese. I think he's very just upfront about his rulings and why I enjoy that style yeah. of sort of, you know, him being on the bench, but we are going to go back um, there was a bomb threat during this trial. Oh, Did you know this? No, I didn't know that. So when I tell you, this is why it has like captured America's attention, right? So on day 11 of the trial, there is a bomb threat. Um, they have to evacuate. And then it was determined to be not an issue. So they bring everybody back in. But it took a while. So you have this going on in the middle of the trial. It's about halfway through the prosecution's case. You have a moment on day 14 that there is a whole controversy about... One of the witnesses is the home like health aide oh, of no. the mom who Alex said he was with his mom. That was his alibi for the shooting, right? Well, the home health aide says he was there for like maybe 15 minutes, but he asked her to say he was there for, for, for like 40. Um, so there, so she's testifying. She did seem to be like very nervous, very like, upset mm -hmm. it, it just sort of being there um so her daughter this gets very complicated her daughter had, had created like a gun go fund me donation page that then one of the attorneys who was filing suit oh, no. who was representing like mallory beach i guess had donated to it became a whole thing oh no so it's super convoluted right you're bringing in like the, the attorney who's doing the civil case has donated to the GoFundMe that is then if she had to come back and testify again, she would have been receiving money for her testimony. Oh. There's this whole issue, okay? There's all of oh that. Oh, my goodness. And that is on day 14. Um, so the defense says, um, mistrial. This is absurd. Mistrial. And the judge, I love this moment, he goes, no, there's not going to be a mistrial. I think that's great fodder for uh, cross-examination. Again, I would disintegrate on the spot. Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> do that thanks i use it for crumbs right hysterical to me i thought it was very interesting very funny um so that was like the the sort of the highlights of these moments in the prosecution's case that you're like what is happening in my personal opinion um without i'm not a lawyer yet i have no years of experience i do think they spent a lot of time going into the ink 
what's the word I'm looking for? The specifics of the financial and insurance claims. They kind of lost, like they lost the plot for a second. They got into the weeds. Into the weeds of it. And when this trial was already really convoluted and going to be really long, I think it might have done more harm than good to the jurors. Even me, like I was very interested in this, trying to pay pay attention and follow along. And sometimes I was Mm -hmm. like, what are we talking about at this point? Um, I just felt it was so detached from like the issue of the trial. But, you know, I'm not the expert, obviously. It's just my... No, but it's... You know, Monday morning quarterbacking, but like... But I like it because... You aren't an attorney, right? Then, in in a way, it matters more because the juries aren't jurors aren't either, right. and it's their opinion in the end that's going to matter. Yeah. And if you don't understand it and got lost, well, so did they. Yeah, it's one of those things. So, should you risk that? Is are you trying to be too smart for your own good? And that's how it felt, at least to me, is that at some points I was like. We are in the wheat, like you said, in the weeds of this financial stuff. I also have to mention during at, at, during theirs, there was this whole issue with like COVID. And so they had to bring in a lot of the alternates. I think it was two of the alternates at the time, switch out the jurors. And um, the, the day of the defense's closing, I'll throw this in, they had to remove um, a juror and use their last alternate in place because she had been running her mouth about the case. And they found out. So it's so risky. So this is why I'm going to get into my opinion that this is not the end. And I'm going to say, I know we're not quite done today, but I'm going to say it now because I think one of two things is going to happen. I do not believe that there is going to be a conviction. I, as much as I personally think he did it or... I don't, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure if he pulled the trigger. I think he's responsible for their deaths. Um, I think there's insufficient evidence to say whether or not he pulled the trigger. It's super suspicious that he seems to be the only one there when they're murdered. Oh, yeah. And I will say. He seems to be the only one there. And the dog kennels are how far away from the main house. I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) So this is the fun part. Um, I will, and I will do this for the defense as well. I will say what I think the prosecution's strongest points were Mm -hmm. and completely in my opinion, what seemed convincing to me. There are, um, for people who are my age and younger, we all know what Snapchat is. So this was key evidence in the trial. I just don't use it. This was key evidence in the trial, which is so wild to think about. They even had like someone who works for Snapchat come and testify. As an expert, which is cool. I thought it was really cool. cool. I'm like nerding out. So there was a Snapchat video at 7.56 p.m. um, the night of the murders that was taken by the the younger son, um, Paul, 7.56, that shows his father in the video. Then at 8.43... There is another video that it was of the dogs, but you can hear Alex, his father, um, and there were and there was testimony by other people who said, "We believe this is him. This is for sure his voice." And the last outgoing text from the phone was eight forty eight. So that is a that is a five minute window, right, of time. And they also had an expert for this. The car data from Alex's car said he left that property at nine oh seven. So he was there. So he was there. I don't... Who else was going to be driving in his car away from the property? Well, right. And that's where he pulled up to his mom's house and he had driven the car back. He was there. I don't I don't think there's much of a debate about that. Well, he even admitted it. Yes. On the stand, he testified, which is a whole nother... Oh, we were... But yeah. 
we could do hours of discussion on whether he should or should not have testified and what yes. his testimony was, but he testified that he lied yes. to the police about his alibi and that he actually was there. So he's testifying, Yes, I'm a liar, and I was there. And he also, on the stand, and we can get to that in just a second, admitted to all the financial stuff too, because his charges continue to rack up throughout this trial of what they're charging him with for financial. So to me, that is the most convincing evidence. That's a very short time span. Now, his defense argument has like shifted slightly to say that he was there, but he was so far away from where the dog kennels were that he didn't hear the shots. I don't know if I buy that, but hey, that's me. Now, the weaknesses in the prosecution's case, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, there's no forensic evidence, to be quite honest. Right. There, um, the, the investigation was shoddy at best, in my opinion. It, the crime scene was contaminated. It was not closed off. So there were family members that were led on the scene. Um, there were no fingerprints, blood, like spatter or photos initially taken. They then covered up the bodies with sheets instead of tarps, which you knew about. And I just learned I about did, with this, yeah. that it can cause an issue with then getting fibers or sort of evidence off the body later. Um, well, there might've been, yeah, there might've been other hairs yes. on those sheets that are then transferred to the body, right? that sort of thing. So in my opinion, that's sort of the weaknesses and the strengths of the prosecution's case. Um, I do think the motive makes sense to me. I don't think we needed to hear as much testimony about it as we did, but it makes sense. Now let's get to the defense's case. Because you mentioned it. He testified on the stand, which is that not like the number one thing they tell you in a, like, don't, don't take testify. the stand. Oh my gosh. You have, I have that had privilege for a reason. Yes. Oh, I have crossed. You're very welcome. I filled, refilled her glass while she wasn't looking. Um, I have, as a, as a prosecutor. Are you not like, yes, serious? Yes, I am. Please, God, let him take the stand, please. Because that I'm is begging God in heaven to let him take the stand, him, him or her take the stand. But as that is the what to me, again, my, me speculating that I'm an expert at everything, like the amount of just ego it takes to be like, you know what? I don't need this constitutional protection. I'm going to take that is insane, right? That is crazy. It, it is crazy. And be so for real, you are not that smart. Be so honest. Like, I had, and as a defense attorney, so I, I've done both. Now, as a defense attorney, I never handled a murder trial. Um, I, I handled several other large ones, but yeah. not a murder trial. Um, but <laughs> it would take a lot for me to put a defendant up there. Now, again, in the, or I wouldn't say again, in the end is probably the better way to say it. It's not up to me. It's right. up to the client. And I can beg and plead with a client as a defense attorney, please don't take the stand. It is a huge risk. The fact that you said that, the judge actually had a moment with Alex Murdoch's trial, making sure he understood his rights. Um, there was a good judge. I mean, there was a whole back and forth, which makes a lot of sense to me because it is a really big thing to waive. Especially um, in a murder trial. In a, in a murder trial in that, I mean... I don't know North Carolina has a death penalty, but you're either going to like be in prison for forever, right? It's it's a really big risk, and it is something where I, I'm pleased with the judge for yeah. saying, do you really understand your rights, and are you really trying to weave them? Which, again, is funny. This dude's a lawyer, right? Like, he knows. Right, he is, but that's a bigger deal because 
as a lawyer, you should know you shouldn't have your clients testify. So now he's being his own client. He's being, and he's a lawyer and now Well, they say like lawyers are the worst clients, you know, doctors are the worst patients, but they are. Even as someone who has not even finished law school yet, I'm never getting on the stand. No, thank you. And it's a hard decision, but in this case- Unless it was self-defense, maybe. There's that. Right, if it's a self-defense, yeah, I killed him and here's why. Yes. You have to, you almost have to. But for him, there is the calculated risk of, do I get on the stand and admit I'm a liar? Right. And I have, because I have to. Address it. I have to address it. And at least I'm addressing it, getting ahead of it, so to speak. Yeah. Or do I sit back and let them prove I'm a liar? And not address it. Which looks worse. To me, that makes sense, especially just with the length of and extent of the lies. I can see it. There's so many. And I will say, he was very well prepared. He was a very well-prepared witness, whether that's be. because of his own education or, you know, his attorneys, maybe some combination of the two. So the first witness for the defense was actually his older son um, that sort of talked about what the conversation was like with him and his dad when he said, you know, your mom and your, and your brother have been shot. It was a limited witness. It was. It was not. It seemed to me, again, I like talk about this like I'm an expert, okay? Like I have lots of opinions on this. It seemed like he was there to garner sympathy. Personally, that's absolutely what he's there for. Great strategic use. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for it. Like, and I think that especially because Buster really hasn't been in the midst of all this, you do feel if you feel bad for anybody, it's him. Um, so there's that. So he'll be a, if if Murdoch is convicted, he'll be a bigger witness for s- sentencing. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So essentially what happens in the defense's case, they said he was leaving the property to go visit his mom. He had nothing to do with this. He didn't hear the shots. There were two shooters. And this is where it gets complicated because the prosecution is not able, they were never able to find the murder weapon. Now they did some analysis and had experts testify that the weapon that shot the wife, Maggie, was a family weapon, but it's gone. Um, The clothes that he was wearing could not be found. Well, if they didn't, it didn't (laughs) protect the crime scene. Right. Um, it really was what has been uncovered is it really wasn't well done. Right. Um, protection of the crime scene. It wasn't taped off. The housekeeper cleaned it in the morning. Yes. They didn't seal off the crime scene. They didn't ask him not to dispose of any property. They didn't take him out of the residence. They, they basically just left it in the kennels, but that's not necessarily where crime scenes should be confined to, but exactly. It is. (laughs) They're gone. Yes. His clothes are gone. The weapons are gone. There is ballistics testimony that the shotgun, the casings yes. of the rifle, not the shotgun, the casings of the rifle mm-hmm. or the rifle casings, however you <laughs> want to say it, the, the rifle casings from one of the bodies mm-hmm. match or for the shooting of one of the mm-hmm. bodies um, were matching casings of previously fired rounds from closer into the household, which people have testified, yes, that's consistent with this rifle yes. that used to be family owned. Um, so there's te- there is forensics testimony saying these casings match these casings, these yes. old casings of a family owned gun. Where that gun is, we don't know. Um, the same similar issue is there's a different caliber weapon that shot the other family member. Which gives the defense room to room to work, right? Because if you're saying you don't have a lot of the CSI effect, you don't have a lot mm-hmm. of this, like, what 
would be like hard hitting evidence, the defense can be creative. Um, Absolutely. And I think they did that and it became sort of a battle of the experts, which a lot of trials come down to, which in my mind, this is just how I operate. That means I tune them both out. Like if it comes down to that, if... Yes. So essentially, though, it seemed the defense was saying he was leaving the property, didn't hear the shots. There were two shooters and there were two different weapons used. That's not debated. But he said there were two shooters. And they also talked about there's a lot of testimony about the height of the shooters right. for angles. I, I was unconvinced by this expert testimony, um, but they essentially ruled Alex out based on his height and what the angles of the shots were. In my mind, as a juror, the bigger questions are, why are there two guns used? Mm -hmm. And who would pick up one gun and use it and put it down and pick up another? Right. And I don't think they answered that. I think they just, what you talk about a lot is sort of poked holes in the state's case versus offering maybe a, a more cohesive narrative. But they didn't have to. And that's the job of the defense is to poke holes in the state's case and to say, well, they didn't prove it. That's all they have to do. They don't have to put it on any case. They could have, after the prosecution was done, stood up and said, we have no evidence. And just argued the prosecution didn't prove why there were two weapons used. They didn't show you who the other shooter is. We're alleging that there might have been. That's all they have to do. And they may have won their case there. But they chose to. They took a calculated mm-hmm. risk and strategy of choosing to present a case at all, yes. much less put their defendant on. But in this particular case, as a jury member, I would be asking, where are the guns and why were two guns used if there was only one shooter? Where's the other guy? That's how I feel about it when I said that even looking at all of this, like I'm not convinced like um, beyond a reasonable doubt that he pulled the trigger because of things like this. You also have the whole thing where the defense is, I mean, and they're because of how the investigation was handled. They're not wrong. There is not a lot of evidence. They're talking about a lot of circumstantial evidence um, that I think that there's a point to, like I said, I was really convinced by sort of the very small timeline, but now we get to like, the fun part of it because the jury takes a field trip guys i didn't know you could do this okay you can though i asked you truly when i found out they did this i was like i'm such a theater kid i was like they do this in like legally blonde the musical or they like take a trip to the bathroom but i didn't know the theater <laughs> right? i didn't know you could actually do this but they do it's called what a jury viewing yeah, something like that it depends on your jurisdiction it's but, essentially but a field yes. trip they're like all right guys like we're gonna go out to the crime scene wild okay so they do this a couple days ago you can't just do it for any case you can't just go visit a crime scene yes. for any case there has to be a very very good and specific reason as to why the jury should go anywhere outside of the courthouse and i in that courtroom and i mean and the judge again this was motion the judge ruled in the defense's favor and i think it was to talk about sort of their theory that he couldn't hear the gunshots to see the distance which i think Makes sense to me. I would want to see that in person if that was an option. Um, I thought that was really cool. I know I'm like such like nerding out over this, but like that's such a cool thing. I didn't know you could do that. Um, So and then in their closings, these are wild. I have a lot of feelings about closings. We've talked about this last time, but I'm sorry. I understand how convoluted this case was, but nobody wants to listen to a three-hour closing. No. But they did. The prosecution's closing was three hours. The defense was about three hours as well. And then the prosecutor comes back and says we're gonna rebuttal and talked for over an hour after and i'm 
obviously I'm not an expert. I'm not an attorney, but I'm like, these people have to be bored out of their minds. I think they were. So the rebuttal is where the prosecution always has the last word. Yes. The people who have to prove the case, whether it's a prosecutor mm-hmm. or a plaintiff for a civil case, they have the last word of any argument. Yeah. So after defense closing, the prosecution gets the chance to stand up for one last time and make a final pitch to the jury. And it's not a bad thing. And I have used it in many cases. I can see where it would be useful. In it this can case, be. I lost the plot. Um, it, he, at one point, he mentions yeah. something. He's like using some sort of analogy. And I'm like listening to this, right? And then he's talking about his siblings. And I like lost the plot on that. Mm-hmm. I will highlight... Um, Aside from before the defense did their closing, <laughs> sorry, um, and the juror was dismissed. So that's oh right, ran the yeah the other. Then juror. the judge reprimands the defense attorney for what Twitter? We're full circle here. So apparently he had retweeted a uh. an art. He didn't write it. He didn't add any extra commentary. But it was like an op ed in the Washington Post that was very very critical of investigation. I thought it was fair, but like that's that was the position of the piece. And the defense attorney retweeted it. And then the judge was like, you can't do that. And this is what that conversation went like, because I was shocked. So he said, well, you can't reprimand me for a tweet. And he was like, well, NBA players have been reprimanded and lost money and gain. Like, like the judge was not playing. He had a response ready. And the defense attorney was like, yes, your honor. And just happened. That's all you should say. That is all you should. It's not right. You, you shouldn't be commenting. If you comment on the the trial, you should be outside saying, we don't believe the evidence is going to prove this. But I like the implication that the judge is scrolling Twitter and see what people are talking about. <laughs> right? Like I it is a funny implication. The, so we get to the point where that leads to, it's not just that I think that the jury will likely come back with not guilty. I actually think one of three things is going to happen. I do not think it likely that he will be convicted. I think first there's a a strong likelihood or at least a possibility that another juror will be dismissed and they're out of jurors. Okay. Uh, So that's one option because this happened right before the end of the closings. I mean, is that this just... alter, the final alternate had to be brought in. We are on the last legs and they've got to hope and pray in any kind of prosecution yes. or, or defense. You don't, you don't really want to do another trial, but if they lose a final juror, if they're down to 11, that's it. They yeah. can't go forward. They cannot go forward legally. And I mean, there's the, an automatic mistrial. The possibility of the jury being tainted. There were, I mean, there were a lot of things I didn't touch on to mm-hmm. be clear in the facts because there's also another. We don't have that much time. I mean, Gloria was being exhumed. There was another mysterious death that the investigation is reopened. Like there's a lot with this family. And I only say that to say that Netflix also, I think this was tacky, um, came out with a true crime docuseries about this Already? case. Already? Oh, it came out like two weeks. Oh, goodness. Possible taint. So that happened. I don't know exactly when it was released, but you can watch it on Netflix right now. I did not because I thought that was really in poor taste, in my opinion. Like, I do like true crime, but I think there's a balance of like, this has not even been resolved. They're doing it for ratings because people are on pins and needles for the case that were likely to read. Ugh, yeah. watch so one of it kind of gave me the ick. So I did not watch it. But that, I mean, that came out recently. People are talking about it. Like, truly, I've seen on my own personal Twitter and for you page and all of that, people talking about things in the docuseries in combination with real life testimony at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think there's 
a high probability that there could be more arguments tank. about that. But I also think you don't have to prove someone innocent, right? You have to prove them guilty. That's correct. And I don't believe he's innocent, but I don't think they proved that he was guilty. Right. And so, so that leads to two more things that I'll say, and we're going to wrap yes. this up. So what I would encourage everybody to do is if you're as interested as we are, we're trying to keep to that hour mark because yeah. we don't want you to get bored either. <laughs> right. Um, so we're also trying to, to look at our time frames because we entertain ourselves, but not necessarily you. Um, but if you want us to do another segment on the Murdoch trial, yes. we might bring at least some of it back up next Friday. Absolutely. Assuming there's, you know, there's the verdict, there's some extra yes. commentary that this is the big legal thing happening. And hey, if they come back, we will jump on we'll and check us out on social media yes. because we will do posts and yes. and whatever to talk about it once we do find out what the Absolutely. verdict is. And we will of course address it again here. But the other thing to to mention is that in the few minutes that we have left is that it's not just that. So that's one possibility mm-hmm. to me is what's more likely to happen. The second is that there's of course not, not guilty finding. Um, I would be so shocked. Right. But then the third hung jury, baby is a hung jury. And if, if I had to bet, yes, and I don't your, bet on trial, no, give me your final prediction. I want to hear my it. final prediction is a mistrial. Really? That is my final prediction. Okay. My final prediction is a hung jury because of, like, it's a mistrial because of a hung jury. Um, Because I think that there is going to be people like me in the emotional phase Mm -hmm. who look at this and say, well, who else is going to do it? It's highly like, I mean, he just got confronted about it. His family dies the same night. Who else wants to kill that time frame I keeps think killing it's me. It's really tight. So I I think there are going to be some jurors who say, of course he's guilty. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to look at all the evidence. I know he's guilty. I'm going to vote that he's guilty. While the others are saying, yeah, but did they prove it? And maybe it's 11 to 1 on either side. I don't know. Yes. But I think there's going to be some holdouts on one or both sides. Yeah. Then I think there's going to be those who say, "I no, I do. And some who may say, I really do believe the, the proof shows it, not just the emotions. Yes. But I think this particular case, because of the lack of forensics, yes. there's going to be a few too many people who say, but there are no forensics. Right. And that's the CSI effect of there aren't yeah. enough forensics, so I can't vote guilty. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there are going to be enough, whether it's 11 to 1, 10 to 2, or whatever it is, that they're yeah. going to find him guilty. And that'll lead me back into my other murder case. So if you want to hear about the murder case I had, which is not as salacious and interesting as a Murdoch case, but is it does go, it's it's similar tracking in the things that are happening. Yeah. Um, and in that case, there was a hung jury. Because oh, yes. we had no gun. Um, so. Which very similar. It's so similar. And I thought we proved everything else. Like, what else could we do? But right. one juror was a hold out because they're like, well, where's the gun? Yeah. There's no gun. And that was 11 to 1. So that yeah. is my prediction in this case. What's yours? Oh, okay. I'm thinking about it. And I do think the polarization, I think that's a high probability, but I'm not going to pick the same one as you. I mean, okay. I'm not convinced. I think they're going to come back. I hate to say this because part of me thinks that the pressure to find him guilty because of everything, I do think there's prejudicial value in a lot of what they've said in sort of the, 
I don't know anyone sort of in the general public who doesn't think he's guilty. So I do think these jurors are feeling pressure. Yeah. But I do think the people who, and this is just my own thing, the people who think that it wasn't proved are going to bully the people. Like, I think they'll be able to get a not guilty. It's more likely to be bullied the other way. Um, yeah. into a not guilty. That's what I'm, yeah. Or I think mistrial. That, yeah, I definitely think that if someone's going to move the needle, the people who don't think they proved it are going to be able to like pressure the other ones versus the other way around. So that is my final prediction. <laughs> See who's right. Um, and whether there's a totally different, maybe we're both wrong completely and I he's would found be guilty. shocked. And then we go to sentencing, but the years of appeals would be oh coming. Um, I mean, he's facing like 700 years for all the financial crimes he's charged with. So, I mean, truthfully, even if he was found not outside guilty. of the murder trial, yes. Yeah. He's, I mean, this guy is not going to be free. No. But. Yeah. So stay tuned with us. We are the Legal Weekly Wine. Um, like us, follow us so that you can see each Fridays. We, yep. we publish every Friday. We do talk about the week's events. We think we're interesting. Hopefully you do. If you do find us interesting, click like, click follow, click subscribe. Um, leave us a comment or a review. We would love to respond. We try to respond uh, not to everyone, but we try to respond yeah. to to at least some. Drop your predictions. I want to see what like our audience Tell thinks. us what you think. Yes. Um, tell us what's going on. Do check us out on social media so that you can see our updates. live responses and our updates to what's happening. And we will catch you next Friday. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. We're part of Tarani Law because you never need a lawyer. Until you do.